Well, past, uh, this past Sunday, we began this new series I've entitled Passion, and we considered the amazing work that God has done on our behalf. This amazing salvation he gives us really should lead us to consider a response. What should be our response? I think our response should be to aim high, to look at what God has done for us, and in response to that, to shoot for the very best in life, to shoot for the very, the very good things in life that he has for us, to serve a mighty God, to aim high. Now I want to turn to a second aspect of this passion, and it's the idea of maintaining the cleanliness in our hearts that God has given us. One of the aspects about coming to know Jesus that I think is truly amazing, and I, th- I really think we forget, is that when we meet Jesus, whether we were kids or adults or whatever, in that moment, Jesus does something for us that is just utterly amazing when you think about it. He, he sets us free of our sin. He washes the slate clean. And we go, yeah, he did that. But sometimes we forget the power of what he did for us. He, he settled our account. He covered us in the blood of Christ. And so we don't carry the penalty of sin. We don't carry the weight of sin any longer. And when we really received Jesus, there's this massive relief. Our burden's lifted. Y'all like that? Didn't you remember that? That's pretty amazing, isn't it? But what happens next? It's called life. Life goes on, doesn't it? We begin to experience different things in life. We progress through life. We face trials. We face struggles. We face the normal activities of life. So how do we maintain and, and even expand the restoration and reconciliation we've been given? How do we grow in this passion for the Lord that we've been given as a gift? Over in the letter to the Hebrew believers, these are people who were scattered across the world because of persecution. Uh, Paul uh, challenges them to remain faithful. And you're going, well, why wouldn't you? I'd ask you, why don't we? You know. But here's the thing. They're, they're, they're being scattered around the world, and they're going, man, this following Jesus stuff is costing us. It's costing us our homes. It's costing us our livelihood. It's, we're having to move to different places because if we stay, we're going to get killed. It, it would be very easy to walk away from faithfulness in, this, in the midst of such trials. And they had a choice. Listen, not unlike us, how are we going to respond when trials come, when hardships come, when difficulties come? How do you respond? When life happens. What I want you to see in this passage, if you're following the outline, uh, is this. There's two areas where we base our new reality, and then there are four actions that lead to us clean heart. So, so follow with me. Look at verse, 20, uh, verse 19 in chapter 10, Hebrews 10, verse 19, and follow from there. Therefore, brothers, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Father God, we come before you this morning and we want to be reminded 
of the goodness that you brought into our lives at salvation. But Father, we also want to grow in how to keep ourselves clean and pure in your sight. We want to understand what you've done for us and we want to understand what you're doing in us so that we can bless you and bless others. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I mentioned the roller coaster earlier this morning. I'm dealing with some allergy stuff. It's not the other stuff. So I think we're okay. But I don't normally drink water in church, but I'm going to today so we can get through it. There's two things I want you to see first. It's the two sides of, 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 of this new reality that we have. Look, look at verse 19 and 20 again. The first thing is to this. We need to receive into our lives this holy confidence that God has for us. I think, I think a lot of us, we live our lives as Christians kind of tentatively. We're not really sure what we're going to do, where we're going to go. Look what he says in verse 19. Therefore, now you know, when you see the word therefore, you ask the question, what's it there for, okay? Because he's talking about something. He's bringing a summary here, a, a, a thing that we need to grasp. He says, therefore, beloved brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Now, some of you look at that and go, huh? What in the world is he talking about? Now, you've got to understand, Paul is writing to a particular type of person when he writes this letter. He's writing to Jewish people who have come to faith in Christ. So, let, let's put on our spiritual yarmulkes this morning. Y'all with me? You're going, what's a yarmulke? That's that little funny hat that the Jews wear in worship services, Okay. And let's be Jewish this morning for a minute to understand this text. Because if you aren't, it's tough. Because it's it's like foreign to us. So think back to the moment you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember that experience? You're going, man, that was a long time ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago for me too. Okay, coming up on 50 years, all right? Long time ago. What did your life look like before Christ? Were you a complete mess? Or, or were you just a little disheveled? A lot of it has to do with how old you were. If you were a kid, you probably weren't that big of a mess. I mean, your parents may have thought you were a mess, but spirit, you know, you weren't in that serious activities yet. You weren't a lot, in a lot of, of, of serious sin. Maybe you were older and you were. I don't know where you were, but think back to that moment. H- had you been living many years apart from God, or were you a child who just know you, knew you needed the Savior? Were you a seasoned sinner, or were you a big sinner in, t- in training? I don't know. What, what were you, Okay. The moment, though, you answered God's call and you received his merciful forgiveness, here's what you got, a new sense of confidence. In Christ, you're going, I'm free. Isn't that great? Uh, now, you're going, I was seven years old, seven, hour, seven, seven and, and three quarters years old, whatever that was. Nine months. I wasn't quite eight yet. I didn't know everything all was in the world. I didn't understand all these things. But I knew this. I needed a forgiveness and a, and a Savior. Where I was once marred by sin, I was now what? Clean. I was new. I was forgiven. I have a confidence in Christ. I have a confidence to do what? And this is where it gets Jewish. You ready? To enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. What? Now think back to the Jews and how they would worship God. Once a year, the holy of holies would be entered by one man, the high priest. And the stories had had been around. You know, this high priest a few years ago went in, didn't come out. And they had to use that rope they tied around his leg to pull his body back out because he was dead, okay? It was a place you didn't just run into on your own. But do you remember what happened on the day Jesus was crucified? The, the, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. 
opening the way for you and me to come into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, if you will, spiritually. And that's one of the things that we need to grasp and hang on to. The average person in that day would never consider going to the Holy of Holies. They'd heard the stories. But here's the thing. In Christ, it's now possible. We have a confidence to go where? Into the Holy of Holies. The holy places, how? Because of the blood of Jesus shed for us. This new and living way he opened for us. We are no longer like the people in the Old Testament. Now we are able to come into the presence of God directly. And now get it. It's not because of your goodness. It's because of his forgiveness and his grace that is possible. Paul reminds the church at Corinth after all of their struggles and problems this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? Just like he used to be. No difference. It's not what he says. Look what he says. Is a what? New creation. The old has gone. It's passed away. Behold, the new is here. So what I want you to grasp is this big idea. In Christ, you have been set free. In Christ, you have been redeemed. In Christ, you've provided a holy confidence to live a great life. You've already got it. What are you doing with it? This is the place we find ourselves in the beginning of our journey. We have a confidence to live a holy life, a clean heart that we didn't have before, to live life to the full. But catch the other side of this thing that we have. And this really gets outside of our comfort zone as Baptists. Okay, y'all ready? He says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, we don't have priests. Right? Aren't y'all glad? Can I tell you something? I'm glad too. I wouldn't want to sit in a box listening to y'all's troubles all day long, okay? I'm grateful we don't have priests. Y'all with me? At least human ones. But catch this. We need to learn to revel in our holy priest. Who are we talking about? That's Jesus. The second basis of our new reality in this clean heart is we have this great high priest. Again, it's a foreign concept to you and me as Baptists. We go, that's not us. Protestants in general reject priests, and I'm okay with that. We believe in the what? Priesthood of the believer. You have the right, the authority, and, and, and the blessing to do this, to go straight to God yourself. You don't have to come to me and say, well, well you need to pray for me because I don't know how to pray. Will you pray for No, I, I, I love, I'd love to pray for you. Don't misunderstand. But you have that ability already. And I'm grateful for that. But here's what happens when we do this. We, we, the veil is torn. The, may, the way is made clear. Christ, we can come to the throne of God. And he makes it possible, not because of our goodness or our goodness or specialness or specialness or cleverness, excuse me, but it's the work of Jesus. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Look what Romans, Paul told the Romans about this role. He says, who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was, who was raised. Who is where? At the what? The right, the right hand, I know my left and right, at the right hand of God, who indeed is what? Interceding for us. What Jesus is doing right now on your behalf, if you're a child of God, is sitting at the right hand of the Father, talking to the God, talking to God the Father about you and your needs. He's your holy priest. Praise God. We have Him. In Christ, you're set free. You're redeemed. You have a holy confidence. This is the place that we're now sitting and standing. And so 
without his work, none of the things mentioned in the verses we're going to talk about next would be impossible. You wouldn't be able to give and receive forgiveness. You wouldn't be able to struggle. You would, you would, excuse me, struggle with connection. You wouldn't encourage one another. And you surely would forsake the fellowship of the saints. She goes, I don't need any of that stuff. But in Christ, with a high priest sitting at the right hand of the Father, all this is able to be done. He's not only our Savior, our King, our Redeemer, our friend. He is our high priest, making a clean heart not only possible but real. So the basis is this confidence and this Holy Priest. Then we got four things that flow out of it. I want you to see this. And three of them explicitly say, let us. Now, we're not talking about the green leafy vegetable here. You know, with me? But it kind of sounds like it. The fourth one is implied in the language, and I'll show you that when we get to it. But he says it, if you're in a modern translation, you can see them very clearly. They're, they're laid out just like here, 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 here. Here's what we receive. What happens? With his holy confidence present, with a high priest interceding, we can live with a clean heart for more than just one or two minutes after we get saved. Look what he says in verse 22. Let us, here's step one, you ready? Let us draw near with what? A true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Y'all still have your yarmulkes on? He just went Jewish again on us. You ready? You're going, what? What? Full hearts? We don't sprinkle. We're Baptists. We immerse. What? Bodies? What? We don't. Hang on. Hang on. Here's what you need to, first of all, you need to do. We need to remember this, our powerful forgiveness. How many years has it been? How many years has it been since you trusted Christ and you experienced that newness for the first time? For some, it's a few years. For some, it's a few decades. And it's easy to what forget. You think, oh yeah, I've always had that. Now there was a time you didn't, and He brought it to you. And the four main aspects that Paul mentions to the Hebrew believers scattered as a result of persecution, the first one is this. They needed to remember the powerful forgiveness that they've already received. When Jesus tore the curtain, he made it possible for us to come close to God, to walk with God. And he uses two powerful Jewish Hebrew illustrations to make it clear. You're going, we're not Hebrew and we're not Jewish. I got that, but you're wearing your yarmulke this morning, so you're good to go. You ready? Y'all with me? Okay. When God's people committed to the covenant with God, here's what happened back with Moses when all that was done. He, 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 he sacrificed a lamb. And y'all are going to go, ooh, I'm with you. He took the blood of that animal. You ready? and sprinkled it on the people. You're going, yuck. Yeah, I'm with you, okay? But there was a symbolic active action here. There was something he were, they were trying to illustrate to the people to grasp. They, they would begin to sense the cost of their forgiveness. Do you, know how much you're, you know, do you understand how much your forgiveness cost? It cost the life of Jesus on a cross where his body was broken and his blood was Shed. That's a powerful forgiveness, folks. And what they did in the day of Moses is they would sprinkle them with that and they would sense the cost of their forgiveness and they would even feel, hang on there with me, the warmth of the sacrifice as the blood splattered on them. You're going, that's just gross. Can I tell you something that's even more gross? 
is that God himself had to sacrifice his son to cover our sin. But he did because of his love. And we need to remember that forgiveness he's bought for us. It carried a high cost. Therefore, we should choose to live our lives how? With pure hearts. Out of that response. Forgiveness carried a high cost. Let's live the right life. Over the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus described a number of people who were blessed. You've probably read it before. Blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the. Verse 8 says this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In the New Testament sense, we no longer sprinkle blood on people. Praise God. Nor does immersion in water make us clean. But we do have powerful symbols that we continue to this day that are based much on what they did in the Old Testament. You know what they are, right? One is the Lord's Supper. When we take, partake of the broken body and the shed blood, we're reminded of the cost of our salvation. When we go through the baptismal waters, we experience what? Not cleansing for the first time because we know you're not saved because you get baptized, but rather we're reminded of the cost that it took. And we are given a reminder to remember that forgiveness we have. The second thing is, look at verse 23. Let us, there's that let us again, okay? Let us hold fast to the, uh, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who, is prom, who promised is faithful. We need to remain steadfastly connected. There's a work here going on. First outcome is this holy confidence. Then we have a reminder of our holy forgiveness. This leads us to the second outcome, remaining steadfastly connected to Jesus. Now, the call here is pretty straightforward, pretty simple. We have a choice to make. Every day we get up, we have a choice to make. One, will I get out of bed? That's not the choice I'm talking about. The choice I'm talking about is will I live my life unto the Lord or not? Will I let him fill my life with his presence or not? The call is straightforward. Once again, the ex- remember the experience of meeting Jesus. Do you remember that, that feeling, that forgiveness? In that, in that experience, you, you made a life-altering confession. You said, God, I believe that your forgiveness is available for who? For me. And I want to live in that. Now we've got to do it. Our name is now what? Written in the glory. So when trials come, what do we do? Remain faithful. You go, that's easy. Or said than done, right? No, but we've got to make the choice. When hardships come, we stand firm. When the temptation comes to give up, we what? We send it packing. No, I'm going to stay with it. Remember, you have a holy confidence in God and a holy priest who's interceding on your behalf. Hang in there. Stay connected. Over the letter to Corinth, Paul, the second letter to Corinth, Paul reminded the believers about the weapons of the spiritual battle. As he said, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience where your obedience is complete. A follower of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, we've not only been saved, but we've been blessed with the tools necessary to win the battles. You are an overcomer in Christ. You are a victor in Christ. You have that in your life. Now it's a matter of putting it to work and to do battle. Not fleshly battle, but spiritual battle. Third lettuce. Now this lettuce is a special lettuce, okay? It actually carries the idea of lettuce from this phrase 
into the next phrase. Y'all remember in the, in, the, in the Bible, the verse numbers are not in the original. They're there to help us have an address so we can find a, a verse. If I said, you know the passage in, in Hebrews that says, and let us consider how you're going to be going, where's that one at? They put an address in there for us back in the, oh, about 800 years ago, 700 years ago, to help us find these things. So this sentence actually runs into verse 25, which we'll get next. But for now, I want you to see verse 24. This let us carries both verses. He says, let us consider... How to what? Stir up. Y'all like that word? I like that word. Stir up one another to love and good works. Any of you, uh, let me help you grasp this thought. Do your kids ever stir you up? Y'all with me? Okay, you got the visual. If you're a teacher, do your students ever stir you up? If you're a a leader at work, do your employees ever stir you up? Does your boss ever stir you up the other way around? It works both ways. This idea of stir. So remember, we have this amazing forgiveness. We have a, uh, uh, so we remain connected. There's a a third aspect I want you to see within this confidence that we, as we're connected to our holy priest, we encourage one another to press on. You know, I hadn't been doing that one. Yeah, a lot of us don't. But I think it's important. While there is certainly a personal aspect, listen, where you and I are responsible to the Lord to remain faithful, we need to be what? Encouraged. We need others to say, hang in there. Keep going. Don't give up. And he'll tell us in the next verse explicitly we need each other. But notice here the call is let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, he's not saying... Let me encourage you so to work for your salvation. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I want to encourage you to do the good works of your salvation. Y'all get the difference. It's something that flows out of the relationship with Christ. This call is to encourage one another to powerfully live out the gift of salvation that you've been given as a free gift. And one writer describes it this way. This is the living in the in-between times. You're going, what do you mean? You know, salvation... We started talking about this last Wednesday night a little bit. But salvation, in many ways, is two points. It's, it's the first point is what? The point you meet Christ. That day you trusted Jesus as Savior. You said, I'm going to trust Christ. The other point is the end. You know it's at the end, right? It's the day we cease living, but our salvation is complete and we're in the presence of God. But what happens in the in-between? This is what he's talking about. I think. The front end is trusting Christ. The back end is experiencing his eternity. And in the in-between are the years, the years of endeavoring to live for Christ. The work. Now, how do we do this? Paul's big idea is this. Let's encourage each other. How many of you would rather have somebody come along and say, man, you look ugly today and you are not doing a good job? Or come alongside you and say, man, you look good. You're doing great. Keep on keeping on. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? We all like the second one. Nobody wants to hear the first one. And yet so many of us are really good at the first one of complaining and griping and carrying on and negative. But we don't want that, but we're good at giving it. How about we choose to be the other person? to be the person God wants us to be, to come alongside each other, to love each other, to encourage each other, to keep on. You go, man, you are an ugly cheerleader. Praise God, I'm an ugly cheerleader, but I'm here to cheer you on. Keep on keeping on doing what God has for you. You don't have to do everything, my friends. You just have to do what God has for you. 
Do it the best you can. And can I tell you something? I need your encouragement too. I really do. James phrases it this way, James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Nope. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We're saved by faith in Christ alone, but the actions we take after our salvation shows the validity of our salvation. Is it real or not? How we live post-meeting Jesus is so important, and we need to encourage each other to keep on keeping. When was the last time you encouraged a brother or sister in Christ? When was the last time you picked up your phone and sent a text saying, hey, I'm praying for you today? When was the time you picked up the phone and called somebody and said, hey, I'm thinking about you today? When was the last time you wrote a note? I'm terrible at writing notes. But wrote a note to somebody and says, man, hang in there, keep on keeping on. We don't do that stuff, do we? We should. And we need to. One more thing I want you to see. We, we have this holy confidence and we're reveling in the holy priest. We have his forgiveness. We're connected. We're encouraging each other. But we also are called to do this. Rejoice with the beloved. Who are the beloved? Brothers and sisters in Christ. You are my beloved. We are beloved. Look at verse 25. Let us... You're going, I don't see it there. Remember, it's in verse 24, but is in the Greek is carrying over to this verse. Let us, what? Not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So coming out of this holy confidence, we have this idea of remembering our forgiveness. We remain steadfastly connected. We encourage one another. Now we need to be rejoicing with the beloved. What is he talking about? I was talking the other day with a friend of mine about the perfect church. You know the perfect church, don't you? It's the one you're not a member of. I'm going to tell you that, okay? You all with me? Because, well, I'll leave that to your own thinking. But this guy shared with me his belief there was no perfect church, especially after he, he joined it. I had to laugh. He laughed. I thought about how true that was. Because there really is no perfect church, so maybe we should just all stay away. But here's the reality. While there is no perfect church, I am certainly a better person because I'm part of a local church. And I pray you are too. We need each other. We need each other to challenge one another. We need each other to hold each other accountable. We need each other to love each other and so much more. Have you noticed the, 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 the longer you miss the discipline of gathering with God's people, the further away from God you seem to become? Have you noticed how you go, it just gets easier and easier and easier? I don't need that. I don't need them. I don't, I mean, I don't want to be around him. I don't want to be around her. You know, with me? It becomes easy. The experience of coming together with other imperfect people under the Lord provides an experience that you cannot find anywhere else. One of love, acceptance, and grace. You know, and those of you who are watching online, I'm glad you are, because there are legitimate reasons to be watching online. Health issues, health concerns, 
immunocompromised situations, you can't walk. <laughs> I, I get it, okay? But let me tell you what, we are in a day and age where it is becoming so easy to not gather with God's people. Now, we're not going to stop our internet broadcast because we're reaching people literally in different countries now. And we're glad you're with us. We know you can't be here. But let me tell you what, you need to connect with a body of believers. We need to be making a commitment that says, I'm going to gather together on a regular basis with a bunch of people who annoy the tar out of me, but love me anyway. And some will say, well, I'm not going to go because that preacher's there or that music guy. Can you believe the song he sows today? My goodness, I don't even know that one. So what? You're not here to worship Harold. You're sure not here to worship me. We're here to worship who? Jesus in spirit and in truth. And we need each other on a regular basis. Paul reminded the church at Rome of the purpose of gathering. In Romans 12, 4, he says, For as in one body we have many members or many parts, and the members do not all have the same function, so though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, we're part of something bigger than us when we come together. You say, well, it's not exactly like I want. It's not exactly like I want either. Sometimes the preacher is awful. I'm going to tell you, I listen to him every week. And I get on to him because he just doesn't need it. But you know what? God uses it anyway. It's amazing to me. A big part of experiencing the passion that God has for us, desires for us, is saying we're going to walk together with other believers and being a part of something bigger. I think we find holiness as we gather together on a regular basis that you can't get on your own. Those things are part of it. And when we do that, we experience his love and his grace. So whether you have already trusted Christ and you're his follower or you have yet to follow him, what's the first step? It's always faith. Some of you maybe today don't know Jesus. You need to take that step in faith. Some of you say, I've already done that. Most of you probably say, I've already done that. Then what's the next step? Because there's a whole lot of time between that first step and the last step that's in between that we need to live for him. What is God guiding you to do? What's he leading you to do next? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your mercy and grace. We thank you for your blessings today. And we pray, God, that as we think about how we would respond personally, you'd show us what we need to do not for anybody in this room, but for you. We pray your hand to be on these few moments. We respond. We would do so in Jesus' name.